Hello, I'm Cole Peterson, based out of Portland, Oregon. I'm author of Backdoor Revolution and host of the ADU Hour, a podcast where we probe deep into ADUs and other small alternative infill housing. Expansive and deep thinking about small infill housing is our jam. You can sign up for information and announcements from my email newsletter at buildinganadu.com. And I'm Kelsey King, a real estate agent and ADU specialist based in Bellingham, Washington. We host the ADU Hour live on Zoom. Cole interviews experts in the ADU space, and then we take some questions from our live audience. Abdur Abdul-Malik is a certified residential FHA-approved appraiser at Equality Appraisal. He takes progressive appraisal education seriously to stay abreast of the latest valuation methodologies. Abdur is a candidate for designation with the Appraisal Institute, an associate member of the REAA, and a board member of the local ASA Portland, Oregon chapter. Cole, tell me a bit about your takeaways from revisiting our interview with Abdur. Abdur is a straight shooter, and even though appraisers can often get bogged down in industry-specific jargon, Abdur is pretty easy to follow. I'm grateful that he was willing to volunteer significant time into this obscure appraisal topic, because as those who follow it closely know, this is not an obscure topic when it comes to ADUs. It has significant impacts on the viability of ADUs in terms of financing opportunities and in terms of understanding resale value. What were some of your takeaways? Abdur really knows his stuff. He single-handedly took a deep dive into valuating several hundred properties with legal ADUs in Portland that had resold to get a sense of what the value different types of ADUs added to a property at resale. I'll repeat, several hundred single-handedly. He also introduced me to the concept of super adequacy, a concept I'm looking forward to him sharing with our listeners. We are jumping into the ADU Hour series with our guest, Abdur Abdul-Malik. Thanks for joining us today. It's going to be really good getting into some really technical, nitty-gritty stuff that I think we're all learning about. There's no codified information about some of the things that we'll be covering next. We're going to be learning a lot together, so look forward to it. All right, Abdur, come on out. Good morning, Cole. How are you doing? Good, man. Good to see you. Good to see you. Thanks for thanks for being our guest today. I think a lot of people are going to be really interested in what you've been researching. Why don't we just start by having you introduce yourself to our group? Sure. So my name is Abdur Abdul-Malik. I'm a certified residential appraiser that's licensed to appraise in Oregon and Washington. I'm a board member of the local Portland chapter of the American Society of Appraisers. I serve as their secretary. I recently completed uh, my candidacy for designation, and I'm now a designated member of the uh, Appraisal Institute and SRA. And I'm also uh, very active in uh, teaching appraisal concepts. I assist a nationally recognized instructor, George Dell, occasionally when he comes to teach appraisers. And recently, I've been uh, really delving deep into ADU valuations. Thanks, Abdur. So we're going to dive right in. Tell us about a term that I've learned from you functional obsolescence and its relative application to ADUs. Sure. So to explain that, I'm going to use basically what's known as the Bible for real estate appraisers. It's called the appraisal of real estate. And I'm going to read from the 13th edition a couple of concepts that are very important to understand when it comes to the valuation of ADUs. So depreciation is a word that many of us have heard. And the definition for that is the difference between the contributory value of an improvement and the cost at the time of the appraisal. 
So the costs may have been higher initially, but at the time of the appraisal, it may be less. And there are many different sources of depreciation. And one of them, the one that's particularly relevant for AD valuations is the term functional obsolescence. And um, bear with me here, I'm gonna read this definition, but it's very important for the understanding of valuations of ADUs. So it's the functional obsolescence is caused by a flaw in the structure, materials or design of the improvement when compared with the highest and best use and most cost-effective functional design requirements at the time of the appraisal. A building that was functionally adequate at the time of construction can become inadequate or less appealing as design standards, mechanical systems, and construction materials change over time. Functional obsolescence is attributable to defects within the property in contrast with external obsolescence which deals with conditions outside the property. And here's the key portion for ADUs. Functional obsolescence, which may be curable or incurable, can be caused by deficiency, which means that some aspect of the property is below standard in respect to market norms. It is also caused by a super adequacy, which means that some aspect of the subject property exceeds market norms. So that last part is the most relevant for the valuations of ADUs. It's not that an ADU is a bad thing to construct. In fact, they're very useful and, and they serve many different needs. Uh, in the marketplace, but because the general market expectation is that these structures would not be present in most single-family detached homes, it's considered a super adequacy. Now, what's considered a super adequacy today may not be considered one tomorrow, and my uh, suspicion is, is that as ADUs continue to gain uh, greater market penetration and they become a much more important part of the housing solution, they may actually in some marketplaces be considered uh, a norm and perhaps that functional obsolescence will go away. So it's not once categorized a functional obsolescence, always an obsolescence. It's just that at the current time, the difference between what you'll pay for it and what the value return will be at the time an appraisal is done generally is less than what you put into the home. Now, it's not just ADUs that have some degree of functional obsolescence using appraiser speak, but almost any home improvement and them would have some degree of functional obsolescence. What types of home additions add value for resale from an appraiser's perspective? Well, a lot of times the, the easy ones are like a kitchen remodel, a bath remodel. Sometimes if the home is indeed very small for the consideration of the market, sometimes a person may add a more physical space, a living area to their home, and that may bring their home up to market expectation for the typical size of a house in their market. ADUs aren't the only additions that may sometimes have less of a return in value. A great example here in Portland is a swimming pool. In some markets, a swimming pool will add value, but I have done a number of appraisals where a swimming pool contributed zero dollars to the return uh, of investment. In fact, agents will tell me sometimes that a home that had a pool, when it sold, the next owner would just backfill it and get rid of it. So definitely ADUs are doing a lot better than swimming pools in the Portland residential market. I saw a new one last week, Abdur, that was pretty cool. A woman was buying a high-end house in the West Hills that had a pool in a pool house and she was going to convert the pool to an ADU. How's that? Okay. Functional obsolescence, <laughs> huh? So how do ADUs stack up relative to these other home improvements in terms of cost of construction versus resale value? So let's take kitchens, additions, garages. 
Appraisers like to always hedge uh, their statements by it depends. And so it really does depend on a number of different factors, how they're stacked up. We've all uh, been to some uh, kitchen remodels. Maybe a friend shows you their kitchen remodel and you're just blown away. And you can tell that the quality and the craftsmanship is of high value. And uh, you would certainly expect in that case for a high return. Then you've maybe been to a kitchen remodel where you're, you know, to put it politely, maybe it's lipstick on a pig, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, it just doesn't really give you the return that it could have otherwise had if it had been done at a higher quality. So with ADUs, my research is showing that pretty much any ADU is going to give you some incremental boost in value. I have yet to do a valuation of an ADU where it was a $0 return. So that's the good news. When it comes to returns, it just depends on what your needs are for an ADU. Some people convert their basements into accessory dwelling units, and that can be a very cost-effective way to get that ADU built for an inexpensive price. Others maybe do a garage conversion, or maybe they'll do a stack-on to a garage. And then, of course, uh, the most expensive option would be a, a detached ADU, perhaps in the backyard. Those can be very expensive to construct, and so the market return will be high on those, but not as high as the cost to construct. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> We're going to have you give like a 10-minute summary in a minute here, but I wanted to frame that by just raising the fact that you've mentioned in the past that this research may not necessarily be applicable in other markets before we provide this information for people's context. I want you to explain that a little bit for us. The general principles of valuation, they certainly apply nationwide, but I always caution people, the numbers that uh, I present are for the Portland market. And they may or may not be directly translatable to a different market. An example might be the Bay Area in California, where median home prices are, are like $1.5 million. So if I say this type of ADU gives you a 10% bump, it may or may not correlate directly to that market just because the dynamics are so different. Mm -hmm. I do say that, but hopefully, especially metro markets that maybe their median prices are very similar to Portland, maybe even the market dynamics are very similar. Hopefully the numbers actually would provide some meaningful insight into what you could expect in your own local market. Unlike other days where we've just done a straight up interview for the whole time, I'm going to have Abdur do a 10 minute version of a really rich study that he's been uh, gracious enough to be working on for a while, really just for the benefit of everybody who's interested in this topic. So I'm going to hand it over to you, Abdur. Take it away. This is a, an adapted presentation that I gave at a conference called the Build Small, Live Large. And this is entitled Case Studies Appraising ADUs. We're just going to talk about how this project got started super quick. As you know, Cole Peterson is a national ADU expert, and he made available to me a list of 1,500 legal ADU properties. And that was very useful because I took those properties and I went into the local MLS system and I said, hmm, which of these ADU properties have resold on the open market? As you can see here in this slide, I painstakingly went through uh, the entire list of properties, and I highlighted the ones that did sell, and the idea was, let's take a look at the city of Portland, let's take a look at the properties that have resold, and as you can see, quite a few of them have actually resold since the ADU was constructed, and then let's just do appraisals on the ADUs, and the appraisal definition from the appraisal real estate 13th edition is the act or process of developing an opinion of value. So a bunch of mini appraisals are being done. 
And appraisal theory recognizes three approaches to value. Uh, you have the income approach, you have the cost approach, and you have the sales comparison approach. The approach that we're using for this study is a sales comparison approach. The other two have limitations when it comes to ADUs. And the sales comparison approach, honestly, is the gold standard for valuation. It's going to be the, the methodology that will give you the most likely return when you go to list and sell. The sales comparison approach, it just involves comparing a property to similar sales in the open market. So if you have apples, you want to compare it to apples. You definitely don't want to compare it to oranges or the valuation will be suspect. But in this case, appraisers have toolkits that go on and on. And we're using many of those tools for the valuation. The, the main thing that we're doing with this valuation is we are staying in Portland for technical reasons. And the city of Portland is actually pretty nice because it has strongly defined neighborhoods. Everyone that's in the city of Portland is, a, is part of a defined neighborhood. So we're, we're taking the property, we're seeing which neighborhood it sold in, and then we're comparing it to properties that are as similar as possible to that ADU property with one exception. We are not using other properties with ADUs. Now, why would we do that? Because we're trying to isolate the contributory value of the ADU. If the main structure is a 1,500 square foot home with a one car garage, we wanna look at all the other 1,500 square foot homes with a one car garage lacking an ADU because if we do that, the difference between the two sales prices will tell us what the market attributed to that ADU. So as we mentioned, we're, we're sticking with those defined neighborhoods. We are doing our best to bracket every single attribute of the property except that ADU. So I just wanna run through maybe just a few examples. Here's a property that has a detached garage conversion ADU. This particular home sold in, in 2018. And so in this case, the ADU added 18% to the value. However, because the garage was converted, the homeowner lost the use of that garage. So that did result in some decrement in value. So when you shake out the gain for the ADU, the loss in the utility for the garage, the net gain for this property was uh, 12%. This one was a new construction property with a basement ADU. It actually sold twice, once as a new construction, and then 14 months later on the open market as a resale. So in 2016, when it was a brand new construction, that ADU contributed 6.1% to the value. Interestingly enough, when it sold in 2017, uh, a year or two months later, the ADU added more. It actually added 16% to the value at that time. My guess, and, and, this is, and this is just a guess, is that the... New construction property, typically a buyer is very intentional about what they want when it comes to new construction. And if they want something, they generally will seek out to have that constructed at the time that the home is being built. But once a home is resold, kind of like driving a car off a, a parking lot, the dynamics of the market change. And in that case, the ADU actually gave a higher degree of contributory value because it was just a useful feature uh, for people look, looking to purchase a home in the resale market. So again, another high quality ADU conversion. Here is an attached ADU. So it is a separate unit, but it's attached on one side to the home. So in this case, the ADU added 24.6% to the value. And for a dollar figure amount, that was slightly over 
$1,000. So as you can see, that's a pretty substantial bump in value, but anyone who's constructed an ADU knows that it probably costs upwards of uh, $200,000 to construct that attached ADU. This is where that term again comes in, depreciation, the difference between the cost of construction and the value at the time of the appraisal, functional obsolescence. Not that there's a flaw in having an ADU, but the definition encompasses the idea of a super adequacy. So maybe this is still a bit more than what the market would expect, but it certainly contributed a substantial gain in value, almost 25%. This was a detached garage conversion ADU. And this is where I started to see trends because detached garage conversion ADUs, when you factor in the loss of value for the garage, versus the net gain, usually the differentials between five to 10%. So again, I don't know if that would apply in every market uh, throughout the United States, but here in Portland, that's what I'm seeing, that if you convert your garage, you will probably boost the value up to close to 20%, but then you're gonna lose maybe five to 10% because you gotta factor out the loss of the, the garage utility. Size uh, does play a role in how much an ADU will uh, contribute to the resale value of a property. The smaller ones, the value can be quite small, still there, but smaller. And then the larger ones, of course, a bigger return. So this is a, another garage conversion. This one added 28.3%. Then again, factoring in the loss of the garage, you can see about that 10% loss. So the net gain was 17.2. And uh, this one was actually a two, two level ADU garage conversion, which was very nicely done. And now this one, and this will be the final one we take a, a look at, this one is essentially two homes. So uh, this home was pretty small to begin with. And instead of maybe enlarging the existing home, the owner decided to just build a separate ADU structure. And as you can see, the main house was 866 square feet. The ADU is 690 square feet. So the parity between the two structures is extremely high. Because of that, you can see that the value gain on this one was substantial. The ADU added 71.2% to the value, about 160,000. Probably the cost to construct was a little bit more, but in this case, the market rewarded the owner with a, a pretty substantial bump in value. Essentially, an appraiser might look at this and say, well, is this an ADU or is this a duplex? And we might talk a little bit about that later. Terminology can matter because depending on the loan that someone is trying to get to finance the purchase of one of these things, the terminology could matter, but it's kind of like calling it six or half a dozen. That is the end there, but hopefully that gives the listeners a little bit of an insight as to the value gains that some of these ADUs are, are contributing. Thanks, Abdur. That was a great expedited summary of your findings. What are some other methods that could be used to determine a research-based method for determining the contributory value of an ADU? Well, as I mentioned before, I really do think that the sales comparison approach is your gold standard. There are many different types of value. In fact, there are dozens of ways to define uh, value. Market value is the typical way that most people are asked to define it. And that's just basically what would someone else in the market pay for this structure? Now, investors might have completely different motivations. People who go out and buy like apartment complexes or even like quadplexes, triplexes, duplexes, they're looking for rental income. So their valuation of the property would really be tied to the revenue stream. With ADUs, I think 
the income approach is a little bit shaky right now because the market has other motivations besides income. There's the cost approach, the cost to construct something, but then again, that term depreciation, functional obsolescence, you got to figure out, well, what's the hit that this is going to take? And so income cost approach, those are other methodologies, but again, sticking to the one that I think works the best sales comparison approach is going out and finding other properties similar and seeing what they're selling for. Let's say there's no sales comps. Let's say we're in a market where there's been less than five ADUs built and none of them have been sold. In the absence of sales comps, do you think the income-based valuation method could be used to determine an opinion of value in that case? Uh, A study was actually done about seven to nine years ago here in the Portland market, looking at the income approach as a way of valuing ADUs. This gets a little technical, but the income approach has at its core an implicit valuation of land. And so attributing the, the land value apart from the ADU gets extremely complicated and difficult. In fact, when you read the paper that these gentlemen wrote who did this study, the equation they came up with was pretty complicated. I think the issue is that many people who build an ADU are looking for a revenue stream, but many are not. In fact, as you know, you put on an ADU Academy and you've also done ADU tours where people can come to Portland and actually see the homes that have had ADUs done in a wide variety of types. That was a very illuminating uh, trip to do. I got to talk to some of these homeowners and while some did acknowledge they were doing it for income, some also said that they were doing it to have a family member live close by, to take care maybe of an ailing parent, or if they were the ailing parent, to have their children be able to live close to them to assist them in in, in assisted living basically on the property. What happens is the market becomes fuzzy. There isn't as direct a correlation between the, the revenue stream and the resale value of the property because it's not just for that purpose. The government programs are looking into different ways to use that revenue stream. I really do think five years down the road, that may be one of the primary ways to value an accessory dwelling unit because it will become so important for underwriting and the market. Once the market sees that the underwriters are all in on the income stream, it will start to respond. And that might become the primary way for valuing these structures. That's an interesting idea that the valuation methodology might actually shift over time. If other jurisdictions or regions are interested in studying this same question that you've studied, how would you recommend that they start the research process? Uh, a really good way to start this would to be to clone Cole Peterson and have him operating in your market because he'll be a wonderful source of information. But in the absence of that, I would say the best thing to do would probably be to talk to the city, the municipality, Portland is actually really good because a lot of this data is freely available online, but if it's maybe not so readily available online in your market, go straight to the source. Say, can I get a list of legal ADU properties that have been permitted in this municipality? And then what appraisers could do is they can check to see if any of these properties have resold. Basically, what you're doing is you're doing a benchmark study. So you don't have to necessarily value 200 properties in your local market, but maybe some local appraisers could value 10, 20, 30 properties and get a sense of what the market uh, is uh, rewarding that ADU at, what level they're rewarding it at. Then other appraisers could point to that study and say, okay, uh, a a peer-reviewed study was done. In this market, we have X percentage bump up for this type of ADU. 
X percentage for the other. And in the absence of any other data, that would be probably perfectly acceptable to an underwriter as long as a legitimate study was done. Anecdotally, I've spoken with several people in California who are just dumbfounded at the idea that an ADU construction cost wouldn't add as much value for resale as a cost to construct. They insist that it's different and that somehow an ADU there is going to add far more value than it costs to construct. What are your feelings about that? That may be perfectly true in their market. Again, I like to emphasize that real estate's local. We've all heard the expression that when it comes to real estate, it's location, location, location. So perhaps in the Bay Area or in Southern California where the density is so high, constructing an ADU would easily bring back the cost to construct. Hmm. But that would only be supposition unless someone actually does a detailed examination of those values. Yeah. And I, I think that's the, that's the linchpin. I think is like, it's easy to assume that, but I think the only way to really know that is to do what you're doing, which is takes an appraiser to put in some rigor. Yeah. A little bit of time and effort <laughs> for sure. It's, it's not an easy thing to do, but I do think that probably some benchmark studies in, in most major metropolitan regions will be useful. I'm hoping to produce a paper sometime this year with the findings in Portland. And if uh, a certain municipality finds that their market tracks pretty closely to Portland, maybe plus or minus a certain number of percentage points, they might be able to use that study in the absence of anything else. But I would also emphasize that in many markets, there is always some kind of data. It's very rare to come to a market where there's absolutely no data. As you know, Cole, you're always on top of uh, the latest legislative developments affecting ADU construction. The state of Oregon had uh, a law passed called HB 2001, and that zoning change basically almost mandates for the entire state that multi-unit properties are now admissible in areas that were formerly only single-family residential. And Oregon's not the only state to do that. Seattle has similar regulations. California passed some landmark ADU legislation. And so I think that as the climate becomes more favorable, the data is only going to get richer and richer in every market. Yeah, indeed. That wraps up the interview portion of this episode of the ADU Hour. As a reminder, these episodes are the edited audio version of interviews that we conducted via a webinar series. Good news, you can access the full video series via Cole's website, buildinganadu.com. Now for the second half of the show, I curate questions from the audience that gives our guests the opportunity to dive deeper into a topic or address new ideas and questions. How does price per square foot change between the ADU and the primary dwelling unit? And are there diminishing returns for larger ADUs? So the answer to that is that price per square foot for ADUs is usually astronomically higher than the price per square foot for the main house just because they're so much smaller. The price per square foot, it always goes up as a unit gets smaller because there are fixed costs to constructing something that even if it was theoretically a zero square foot unit, it would still have these fixed costs like permitting fees, site development, et cetera. As anything gets bigger, the price per square foot, unless it's like a super rich mansion where everything's gold plated, the price per square foot is going to always drop as something gets bigger. Thank you. Next question is, is there a difference between a 
appraisal method used for financing the building versus used for insurance replacement of the building? Yes. In fact, many appraisers like to include statements of limitations and cautionary disclosures. One of the things they always put in their reports is that this, may, this is not really valid for insurance purposes because it's a different type of valuation. The two could be very similar, but they could be also very different depending on how that definition is applied. Can you appraise based on potential rental income rather than the square foot value? That gets into the income approach and the income approach is used in residential appraising. We, we do what's known as a rent survey. It gets a little tricky with ADUs just because we have to, again, tease out what the land value contribution is. And that's complex. To be quite blunt, many appraisers really aren't trained to deal with the complexity that comes with separation of the land value when you got two different revenue streams. Now, one of the ways this could be dealt with is you could kind of look at the home as a duplex. If you classify it as a duplex, it gets put on a very different type of appraisal form. The expectations of the underwriter are also different. You could simply say this is a duplex where one unit is not rented because perhaps one unit is owner-occupied, which is the case quite often with ADUs. Again, if your lender would allow that, that's a question mark. They may uh, say, well, this really isn't a duplex. It gets very semantic, but that's one way to kind of sidestep the issue, I think, is to just classify it as a duplex and then proceed as you would as a regular duplex valuation. Thank you. Are you aware of any localities or programs that are addressing the barrier of super adequacy through policies like financing above appraised value? Actually, I have had some very marginal contacts with people connected with Fannie Mae, which is kind of the 800-pound gorilla in the secondary mortgage market. They make the regulations that govern most appraisals. And so one person told me that Fannie Mae is really looking into this. So maybe it's not so much allowing the home to be valued above the appraised value, but maybe having a stronger program for the inclusion of that income that that ADU might be able to bring in. And if uh, that becomes the norm, as I've mentioned before, I really do think that that's going to be reflected in the values for these properties. This one's pretty specific to Portland. Do you find that different neighborhoods value ADUs differently? Example, east side R5 neighborhoods versus R10s. That's a very good question. And I haven't yet started to break it out by neighborhoods on a granular scale. That is something I will be looking into. But so far, I haven't really seen as big an impact to the contributory value of the ADU based on neighborhood as I have based on the size and the quality of the ADU. So I think those factors are more important right now for location because if a person really is looking for property with an ADU, they're probably not going to be fixated on just one neighborhood. They'd probably be willing to explore a different substitute areas to get that value, what we call value in use. They might be specifically looking for an ADU, and so the neighborhood may not be as much of an impact. Thank you. Um, are appraisers from other ADU-friendly markets sharing information and techniques so I'm pretty dialed in with a lot of the appraiser forms. Right now, I'm, I'm probably one of a handful of appraisers that's actually trying to systematically look at this. Bad news is not too many appraisers are really doing an in-depth look. Good news is, is that I think that might be slowly changing. I do share information on the forms and I have been contacted by other colleagues, so perhaps that will blossom. And as I mentioned before, it might be maybe some people in local markets need to prod local appraisers and kind of fire them up to look into this issue.
<laughs> How does the value differ between a detached ADU and an attached ADU? I, I, I maybe not have enough data for statistically valid generalizations, but just from what I've seen so far, I think the detached ADUs will, will give you the biggest like absolute dollar return. And I think there could be as much as a 10 to 20% difference. Don't quote, quote me on that. I'll hold me to it forever. But from what I'm seeing tentatively, the detached ADU would probably maybe be 10 to 20% higher. I'm going to interject a couple observations here. You referred to when you convert a garage, you indicate that you would have to remove the, the functional economic utility value that the garage provided, while at the same time, you can add on the value of this new housing unit. Makes total sense. In fact, that's precisely what a taxation assessor does as well. So if you were to convert a garage, the, the assessor would say, oh, well, that's great. You've added an ADU, but we're also going to subtract the amount of value that the garage was worth because you've gotten rid of the garage. Similarly, from a homeowner's perspective, if you're converting a garage, presumably you're going to save some money because your structural shell is there. And so you don't have to put the money into building that structural shell. These are all intuitive alignments of these three different methodologies of looking at what that value would cost. So yes, garage conversion is going to cost less to build in an ideal world and it's going to add less value and it's going to increase your property taxation less than detached new construction would. Similarly, a basement, it would have that same kind of economic impact, I, I suspect. I think what, what we might find is over time, all these things really are in alignment with more or less what it costs to construct. So one of the questions I saw come in, if you're doing new construction with a basement ADU in it, that is the one and only way that a spec developer, at least in the Portland market right now with land values, what they are, it's the most common way that I've seen ADUs in, in, for spec development. It costs the builder like thirty dollars to $50,000 extra to put in that additional unit in that structural shell that they're already building, whereas you do not see detached and construction ADUs being built with spec development as much. At least I haven't. In the Portland market right now, some spec developers are starting to do that and they might realize a thirty to $50,000 bump in the resale value of that property. Detached new construction, you're not going to get a dollar for dollar valuation on that resale. Does all that mesh with your understanding of things, Abdur? Right now, I've yet to see a dollar for dollar return. I've seen the percentages get pretty up there, you know, all the way up to 70% bump in value. But I do think that at least for right now, most people in the Portland uh, metro area who built an ADU should expect that there's gonna be some sort of an economic hit in terms of the return. But of course, if a person is building an ADU for the long term and they're not looking to sell immediately, that could change dramatically. I mean, many areas, including Portland, have had housing issues. And I do think ADUs are, are, are a very important part of the solution to that. And it could very well be that down the road, perhaps markets will not only give you the full dollar for dollar return, but maybe you'll get a profit. And that might spur on more building of these ADUs. Another question, giving voice to the threads of conversations that I've had with people in California, they seem to think about these additions as additional square footage. I don't know whether they're basing this in any fact or not, but they say, well, if you're adding, you know, 300 square feet of additional square footage and square footage costs $400 square foot, 
you're going to get huge value out of that additional 300 square feet. But that's not how I've heard that appraisals or resales are looked at. What do you Goodness. think? Goodness. So that's probably one of the biggest tropes to valuation that appraisers have to deal with. And it's one of the reasons why sometimes people can be disappointed when an appraisal comes in and the value is far off from what they want. If it was that easy, just take the square footage and multiply it by one number and boom, you got your value, there would not be an appraisal profession. You would just need a calculator and you'd be done. But the fact that you could spin a, a certain amount of money and not get that full value back shows that there's a greater degree of complexity with valuation than that. Just as a technical note, there's a standard for calculating living space called the ANSI standard. And it's the de facto national standard for how square footage is calculated. And this guide, if you Google ANSI, you can find it. It's like a 16-page document. One of the things that it specifically says is that if, if something doesn't flow from the main living area, it cannot be considered gross living area. Gross living area is extremely important because if anyone in the audience has seen an appraisal, there's a line, GLA, that line, that one line is probably 60 to 70% of the value of any home. If you can't put something in that line, it's not going to have as much of an impact on the final valuation. Thanks. Should I carry on? Yes. What effect are you seeing of adding an ADU on the property tax assessments? Oh, you know, that's, that's a good question. Since I'm really just focusing on the resale value. I haven't actually put those figures together, but it'd be pretty trivial for me to do because the nice thing is with the RMLS database, they actually do supply the tax figures with the resale. So that's a great question. And I'm going to put that as a to-do project. Uh, you just gave me some homework. All right. Everyone likes homework. I, I'll, I'll, yeah, <laughs> I'll give my take on that. Property taxation is done at the state level. So it varies from state to state. In Oregon, my rule of thumb, again, assessors would would be so annoyed if they heard me say this, but here's the way that you can think about it. For every $100,000 of contributory value that you, you add to a property in the eyes of an assessor, that will increase your property taxes by $1,400 per year. An assessor undervalues the contributory value by roughly 25%. So if you add a $200,000 ADU, 800 square foot average price ADU in Portland market, that's going to add $150,000 in the eyes of the assessor, which translates to 1400 plus $700, so $2,100 tax bump per year. That's my way of thinking about it. Conversely, if you did a garage conversion, since you have a shell and you're not adding on that additional value, then you're only adding on like say $50,000 of finished cost. And so that would bump up your taxes by roughly 700 bucks a year, rule of thumb. That's actually not too bad. Is there an option on the appraisal report saying what type and size of the ADU attached, detached? That's a very good question. So right now, the standard appraisal form that most people in the audience have probably seen or interacted with is old. It's actually considered obsolete even by Fannie Mae, which is the originator of this form. So it doesn't specifically have a, a detailed section for ADUs. It does have a little box on the first page where it, you can say single family or single family with an accessory unit. But then in the, the grid, if anyone's ever seen the sales grid that appraisers use to make adjustments, the appraiser typically would have to put an ADU in one of those free little lines at the bottom. So what that tells you is, is that when that form was designed, they really did not give much thought to accessory dwelling units. It was a non-factor in the development of that form. 
Fannie Mae is in the process of developing more comprehensive and detailed forms. And I suspect, in fact, they're supposed to be more web-based where the form would dynamically change based on the information the appraiser su supplies. So if they were to check that accessory unit box, I imagine it would then start asking questions. How big is the ADU? What's the quality of the ADU? How many bedrooms? How many bathrooms? Etc. So for right now, it's kind of an afterthought on the existing forms and appraisers kind of have to wedge it into place. But in the future, I expect there will be dedicated fields for ADUs. How did you calculate the loss in value from losing the garage on a con garage conversion? So that's a great question uh, that gets into valuation methodology. As I mentioned earlier, and I know I gave a very rapid fire presentation, I am looking at properties in a neighborhood. So typically I would pull all the sales within that neighborhood over perhaps a two year period of time to get statistically valid amounts of data. And what you can do, you can do different types of valuation methodologies. One of them is regression, where you can do a regression equation to see what the value of that feature is. Another one, and this is a little technical, is called aggregate difference methodology. That's when you pool properties by differences that are controlled by you, and maybe you adjust for differences in square footage, and then presumably the difference remaining is for that feature that you're looking for. I use that quite often. Using either regression or aggregate differences, I say, okay, a garage is worth 20, 30,000 in this neighborhood. So we lost that, but here's what we gain with the ADU and then I can subtract out the difference. Great, and then to kind of piggyback off of that, are there any benefits for having the ADU above an existing garage so you don't lose that garage space? That's, that is useful, but you know, what I've seen is that the ones that are above the garage are generally the, one of the smaller ADU types. And one property I looked at, I think it only contributed about a 4% bump in value. So it was actually quite surprising. It was a very small, it was measurable, it was there, but it was pretty small. There aren't that many that I've seen in my data set, so I maybe don't have statistically valid data to give a definitive answer on that, but just a rule of thumb, it seems like if they're gonna be really small, that factor more than anything else weighs in on the value and it might be a more modest return. Thank you. What is the most common factor used to find the five comps, such as east side versus west side, schools, property types? So again, this is the typical appraiser answer, it depends. The market dictates which attributes are the most important. In most parts of Portland, the single variable that's going to influence value is going to be gross living area. Then you have uh, lot size, you have quality of construction, you have the overall condition of the property. Schools can matter, but generally appraisers are going to do their best to pull comparables that are nearby. So a lot of the locational variables kind of wash out because all the comparables pulled share the same school district or maybe uh, share similar locational influences. So as long as you're not going too far out of the boundaries for a neighborhood. Like if you were in Lad's Edition, I would not pull any comp outside of Lad's Edition. For those who are from the Portland market, Lad's Edition is a historic district. You got maybe 50, 60 homes that are on the historic registry. You don't want to leave the boundaries for Lad's Edition. Visually, if you Google Lad's Edition for those outside of Portland, you can see visually from an aerial view, it's a very distinctive looking neighborhood. So in that case, I'm going to stay in that neighborhood and that's going to wipe out a lot of the locational differences. And then I'm going to be able to focus in on those key variables of gross living area, lot size, quality, 
And of course, if it's last edition, if it's on a historic registry, I'm going to want to pull some comps also on a historic registry. So again, apples to apples, as I said earlier, you just want to be as similar as possible when you're pulling comps. What banks are currently lending most on ADUs, meaning which ones have underwriters that understand this process? I don't know if I can give a generic answer to that. ADUs are common enough that no bank or institution should be completely befuddled by the existence of an ADU. So I think the main thing that most banks and uh, credit unions and other lenders want is if they're going to have a, a property in ADU, they want the appraiser to clearly demonstrate through the use of comparables and through their methodology, what the value of that ADU is. I'll be the first to admit, there are some appraisers out there, they'll just throw their hands up and they'll just say plus 10,000 for an ADU and just phone it in and, and move on. And that can be very infuriating for people who maybe drop 100, 200,000 on an ADU to just get cursory treatment by the appraiser. The underwriters, if they're knowledgeable about ADUs and that's very variable as to which underwriters are conversant with them, they could push back on that and say, wait a second, this is not adequately documented in this appraisal report. But unfortunately, if you get an appraiser who doesn't know what they're doing, coupled with an underwriter who also is, you know, kind of ignorant on the topic, you might just get a bad appraisal and it might be hard to challenge it. I, I want to follow up on that. We've got a couple of questions in the Q&A that I want to mesh together. For some historic context, appraisals of properties with ADUs has been uh, a big problem in, in the sense that oftentimes they've been given zero value. Another case, as Sarah mentions, in Denver, there's been appraisals that have fluctuated as much as $80,000 on a property with an ADU. What degree of this appraisal process is arbitrary, for lack of a better word? What, what degree is attributable to misinformation on the part of the appraiser about the legality of ADUs? Okay, so you really opened up the can of worms by throwing in the term legality. <laughs> so one of the things I want to stress is that the study that I'm doing is only legal ADUs. I'm not looking at ones that are illegal. Illegal, oof, that creates problems because depending on the municipality, something that's illegal could result in an exorbitant fine. And it could make a really big difference in how the valuation will proceed. If it's illegal, a lot of lenders have a policy. You can't value it according to an illegal purpose. They may say the appraisers to value it based on the legal purpose and a, what's known as a cost to cure, meaning how much would it take to get this back to legal compliance. But in some markets, like any of you who are out there in Hawaii, you very well know that in Hawaii, getting a permit is almost a joke for certain additions and alterations for a property. And the municipality is very laid back about it. In that case, yeah, technically it's not allowed uh, in the market, but the market doesn't care about the illegality because no one enforces the, the code. So you can just proceed pulling any old comps you want. So again, it's local. It's all local. It depends on your jurisdiction. Can you address the condoization models? That's an extremely good question. So I'm not studying condoization right now. And from what I can tell just on pulling data from the market, it's extremely rare at this point for a property that's been condoized to then be resold on the open market where the units are sold independent. So I have seen listings in my research where the realtor is saying that it's in the process of condoization, but I haven't seen too many sales. That's a project for future time. I think right now, if you have condoized your ADU, expect an extraordinarily difficult appraisal process. I'm just going to be very blunt about that because the data for that is pretty scarce. And you might say, well, why can't you just 
pull other condos, we're trying to compare apples to apples. And if we have a detached ADU that's a condo, which has its own little site around it, so to speak, and then you have apartment style condos, they're not quite apples to apples. And so then that's where, as eight, uh, brought out, this fluctuation of 50, 80,000, it's all over the map because the data is all over the map. It's just not clear. Okay. I'll just comment that there's been roughly 25 condoized ADUs in the last year. It's definitely becoming a, a little bit of a, a trend amongst spec developers for whom ADU development doesn't make sense otherwise. And we've seen that in, in Seattle. We've seen that in Austin, Texas. California doesn't allow it. So that's something that we can look for more comps of in the future, I believe. Yeah. As I said before, I think the data for across the board is just going to get richer and richer. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the ADU Hour. New episodes will be released weekly. You can register for the ADU Hour series to gain immediate and indefinite access to all new and old shows. You can also find ADU courses for homeowners, real estate professionals, sign up for my email newsletter, which includes content and announcements, and pick up a copy of the book, Backdoor Revolution, while you're there. Go to buildinganadu.com to learn more. The ADU Hour audio podcast series includes some of the interviews that were part of the live show. The unedited full-length version of all of the episodes is now available in video format for a one-time purchase price of $39 on buildinganadu.com. 